Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, welcome to the Beyond Speaking podcast. I'm Brian Lord. With us, we have Ruben Gonzalez, yes. who... It's great, great to, to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I've been, I've been wanting to check out this office for about 15 years. So I'm so excited to be here. We're glad to have you. As, and, you know, working with somebody 15 years, um, you're, and that's, I don't know how many Olympics that contains. You've been to four Olympics in four different decades, and yeah, you've written a lot of books uh, right here. How to Get Where You Want to Be is one of them. Um, you have inspired hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so, Ruben, thanks for, thanks for coming here. We're, we're glad to have you. I'm, I'm pumped. So you were kind of like born as a child prodigy who was destined for Olympic greatness from birth. Is that is that your story? Yes, yes. I was doing barbells in my, in my crib. Yeah. No, no. Bar, that, that, yeah, that's barbell. Yeah, so, yeah. No, no. I am an unlikely Olympian. I uh, a lot of heart, but no body. I mean, always, always the last kid picked for PE. It was very frustrating when you want to be in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so how did you go from this kid who was not that athletic to being, you know, this record-setting Olympian, you know, having this incredible longevity? You know, I, I played soccer for, for my college, mm-hmm. and uh, I, was, I played five minutes a game. Coach said, you get to play only if we're winning by two goals. That was the rule, right? And so, but he kept me because I pumped everybody else up, and I got them excited. And when I was 21, I see, I'm watching the Sarajevo games on TV, the Olympics. And I see Scott Hamilton win the gold medal. And he gave me hope. I thought, if that little guy can win, I can at least play. <laughs> I'll be in the next ones no matter what. It's a done deal. I just have to find a sport. And for the first time, I had the belief to go along with the desire, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I went to the library, got a big book about the Olympics, looked at the summer sports, took me five minutes to realize, man, you got to be a super athlete. There's no way. <laughs> and I got a little down. Then I started looking at the winter sports, and I thought, you know, my strength's tenacity. Maybe I should find a sport that fits my strength. And, and so I picked luge. I, I thought, it looks like a lot of broken bones, maybe a lot of quitters, <laughs> and I just won't quit. I didn't even know where the track was. I uh, wrote Sports Illustrated a letter, and, and I asked them, where do you go learn how to luge? They said, Lake Placid, New York. And so I called them up, and I, and I told them, hey, I'm, I'm an athlete. I want to learn how to luge, so I'm in the Olympics in four years. Will you help me? Right? Yeah. Just ask for help. And the guy says, how old are you? And I said, 21. And he starts laughing. He says, forget <laughs> it, man. You're 10 years too late. We start them off when they're 8, 9, 10 years old. No way. I knew hanging up's not an option. Right? That, would, that would have been the, uh, the end of the dream. And so I just kept talking to him. And uh, finally he says, um, oh, we got a beginner's camp starting up in a few weeks. You know, be there. And so I went to Lake Placid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, from Houston, Texas, right? I mean, the only ice I'd seen was in my iced tea. And now I'm in Lake Placid. That's where it started. What was that first camp like? And like, were you welcomed? What, you know, what were the big surprises for you? <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, it, this was a couple of months after I see Scott Hamilton. I'm, I'm walking down Main Street, Lake Placid, looking for the Olympic Training Center. There it is, U.S. Olympic Training Center. And uh, that afternoon, we're, we're up at the track. We're going to go on wheels, right? This is a, a spring. So imagine a loose track, but it's concrete, just wheels. <laughs> You're going to be going down this, this uh, you know, half-mile point. So we're going to hitting 50, 55 miles an hour, all we're wearing is tennis shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt, okay? And a helmet, but that's just for decoration. <laughs> you crash at that speed. And, uh, but it, that's the weeding out process in the sport of luge. They put me in a class with 15 other guys, and they're all quitting left and right, you know? And uh, I couldn't believe it. They're quitting on their dream. And before I went, 
something happened that I'm grateful for. Uh, the, the guy on the phone, rather than candy coat it, he tried to talk me out of it. He said, it's going to be tough. If you want to do it at your age in just four years, it's brutal. Nine out of ten people quit. Well, I started smiling. I thought, this works right into my plan. This is awesome. What's the second thing? He said, expect to break some bones. And I said, great. And he pauses and he goes, what's wrong with you, man? You're nuts. <laughs> but after I hung up, I started thinking, you know, it sounds like it's going to be tougher than I thought. You know, he says I'm going to break some bones. So how am I going to handle it? What am I going to do? And I thought, well, I've broken bones before. You know, you wear a cast for six weeks, take off the cast, it's stronger than before. So when you think about it, it's a temporary inconvenience, right? So I, I had um, planned ahead, basically. And so when I was getting hurt, I had a contingency plan. Meanwhile, these other guys, maybe they thought it was going to be easy. You know, hey, you're laying down, you're going downhill. Doesn't get any better than that. But no, it's, uh, he, he prepared me mentally, or he allowed me to prepare myself mentally. And I uh, came back the next winter, and uh, now it's totally different. I mean, on wheels, you've got traction. On ice, it's exactly the difference between walking and skating. I mean, that sled's going all over the place. And it was brutal. And first two years broke. I was crashing four out of five times at first. And... Broke my foot twice, my knee, my elbow, my hand, my thumb, a couple ribs. But I just kept coming back. And, and you learn, right? And after a while, I'm crashing three out of five. It's like, wow, oh, that was a great day, you know? <laughs> and one out of 10, by the end of the second year, I'm crashing one out of 100. Finally figured out how to drive that darn sled. Mm-hmm. Then you start competing internationally, try to have a world ranking, because only back then, the top 50 got to go. Now it's down to top 35. Mm. And, um, and, you know, back then, 50, number 51, <laughs> you're watching it on TV, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, but if you want something badly enough, you know, you're willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to get the job done, you know, some pretty amazing things can happen. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're out there motivating people now, do you try to tell them the really bad stuff first? Or the, uh, like, how do you go with that mindset? Because that, that's always like a different thing, like, hey, you can do it, or hey, you're going to get crushed. I, that's a great question. <laughs> I... <laughs> I tell it a lot like I, like I told you. Uh, I had a little bit more, but I try to keep it upbeat. I use a lot of self-deprecating humor because mm-hmm. when, they, when, they, uh, uh, when they introduce you as any speaker, right? But, but even if they introduce you as an Olympic athlete, people put you up on a pedestal. and mm-hmm. I'm no good to them up there. Mm-hmm. So I work really hard to get them to realize that I'm just like them. Now we, got, now we can start working, right? And so my goal with any group is I want them walking out thinking if that little guy, if that guy can go to the Olympics even one time, I mean, I can do anything, right? And so I want to be their Scott Hamilton. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I want to do. And I want them walking out ready to face their fears. You know, that fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of what will people think. You know, I want to eliminate that. And now they're ready to go for it. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love it that you're, you're sharing that message. How has that, how has that changed over you know, time? So four decades of Olympics, you know, being in the Olympics, four different decades. How has your mindset changed from that first one, like how you would have motivated somebody after that first Olympics to how you would do that wow. now? Wow. No one's ever asked me anything like that. <laughs> I would have probably focused a little bit more on the, uh, how much it hurts, the first one, right? <laughs> because, because I was... I, I was paying the price back then, right? The, the, the physical price. The first two years, it was a, like I said, it was a physical challenge. The next two years, imagine, I'd, I'd only been sliding for two years. Now they put me in this room 
and there's all these Olympic champions and world champions, and it was like a crisis of confidence. I thought, this is, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? It's like somebody dropped, you know, you just got your driver's permit, they put you in this room, and outside that wall is Indy 500, and oh my gosh, there's a, you know, AJ Foyt, and here's Mario Andretti, what am I doing here? And you're gonna yeah. have to race those guys. So I couldn't even look them in the eyes, because I felt, you know, I didn't belong. And meanwhile, the Germans, who <laughs> <laughs> totally dominate the sport, I mean, completely dominate the sport, they won't give me the time of day, mm -hmm. right? So they're confirming that I don't belong there. Right? I, I might say hi, there's a bunch of them working on a sled, and hey Hans, how you doing? Nothing. It's like a, that made me feel that mm -hmm. small. And I would be getting ready for a race, and I would find the corner, the darkest corner where I didn't have to mingle with those guys, and my, put on mental blinders, and, and my focus was, I just gotta get World Cup points. Just keep going and get these World Cup points, because that translates into a world ranking. Mm -hmm. And I just focused on that, and a couple of weeks before the Olympics, cracked into the top 50, I made it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're not talking to the metal guy, you're talking to the guy who got to play with the big boys. Right? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the Opie Taylor of the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, I love that. And that just kind of having that spirit, where do you think that came from, that, that dogged determination? Where did, has that always been there, or, or, or where did it come from? I was born in Argentina. Mm -hmm. My family moved here when I was six years old. And, uh, and the idea was we're only gonna stay here a few years till things get better over there. So there's a lot of terrorism, bad stuff mm -hmm. happening. Wasn't a good place to raise a family. And so I never, um, we, we never bothered trying to become Americans back then because our thinking was this is kind of like a long vacation and mm -hmm. then we're gonna go back. So I was a misfit because I had different I got picked on a lot, both in elementary and in, and in middle school, because I was the, the kid that didn't speak English well and, or the kid that, that had weird customs. I never felt it, never once did I feel it was a racial thing. It was mm -hmm. just that I was a little different, right? And so um, that, that'll, you know, if it, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger, right? Mm -hmm. And it makes you self-reliant. When you're getting picked on, you start building a shell, building up walls, and, and, and learning about uh, how to, you know, how to take care of yourself. And that, my dad got me to read biographies. He said, you know, if you study the lives of great people, you'll figure out what works, what doesn't work in life, because success leaves clues. That led to reading, um, to, to, to reading personal development books, and I became a personal development junkie. I just love that stuff. Yeah. I still do. And I love inspirational movies, right? Uh, the Rudy's, The uh, uh, Miracle, I mean, all the, I, I just love them, right? Because. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm about, right? It's, it's like my DNA. It's, yeah. it's, it's become that way. So I guess that's why. Uh, and it's changed, you know. The message, I guess, is uh, gradually changed a little bit, but it's but it's the same. You know, I try to keep it funny. I try to keep it light, but hard hitting too, because mm -hmm. I would be doing them a, a disservice if I tell them it's going to be tough. You know, success is simple, but it's not easy. You know, <laughs> it's. It, it, it's gonna, the good news is you, you got what it takes, right? Yeah. yeah the, the bad news is it's gonna take everything you got. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but if you, if you adopt that philosophy, it's, a, it's amazing the things that, that can happen in your life. Yeah, and I love it too. I, success leaves clues. I haven't heard that before, so I really like that one. Um, where, where does that leave you with your own family? So you're talking about your dad telling you this, and you're, you're a dad. What have you passed on with your, with your family? Let me tell you about my mom real quick. First. Yeah, yeah. 
My dad was a chemical engineer, very analytical. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a chemistry biology double major, so if you can graph it, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, analytical too. So that's how I, I guess I reverse engineered the Olympics, you know, trying to figure out what my strengths were and what would fit, rather than being the kid that was always good at basketball, for example, and made the uh, national team. Right. It was totally different. Uh, my mom, she's the one that taught us how to dream. She would tell us stories uh, about how, hey, uh, both sides of our family, you know, uh, they came from Italy, from Spain, and from France, and turn of the century, you know, 100 years ago, when things were really bad in Europe, if you spoke English or German, you ended up in the United States. If you were Southern Europe, you probably ended up in Argentina, because those were two rich countries back then. Mm-hmm. They left everything behind for the hope of a better life. And then we left everything behind for the hope of a better life here in the States, right? And so they, she always would, you know, let us see that we're willing to give up, give up something that's good for, some, for the hope of something better, right? Mm-hmm. It's worth a chance to become a dreamer like that. So that was a good combination, you know, really balanced out. And so um, we homeschooled both of our kids. Our, our daughter, Gabriella, she's uh, 21. She's mm-hmm. graduating from Moody, Moody uh, Bible Institute in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this this, um, this uh, spring semester. And she's going to social work. Mm-hmm. And then uh, our son, Grayson, he is uh, 17. And he's going to be an aeronautical engineer or space engineer. You know, he's... Air Force Academy or Embry Riddle, so I, I need a, li- a lot of gigs if it's Embry Riddle. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> so, anyways, so I've always uh, we homeschooled them, but my wife homeschooled them, mm-hmm. right? She taught them the ABCs. I taught them mental toughness and attitude, stick to itness, attitude that you know the stuff that'll get you there no matter what what system you're using, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's great. One of the things, too, I think that's so important now, you know, we've kind of gone through these two years of COVID, everything else. You know, you talk about resilience. Um, When when you're asked to speak on that or, you know, answer questions on that, uh, what advice do you give people on how to be more resilient? Success is a decision. Okay. Sooner or later, you get mad. You get to that point where you draw that line, you know. If you're watching Rocky, when they start playing, he gets knocked down. He's just like, I ain't going, you know, I ain't going down no more, right? And they start yeah. playing the music. And you know something about to happen. Okay, when you reach that Rocky <laughs> moment in your life, you know, sooner or later, you make a decision that you're willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to get the job done, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean you're going to be stepping on other people. You know, you have to maintain relationships, win-win, I mean, obviously. Uh, but it's a decision that you make. That, hey, that's it. I'm not going to play around anymore. And I don't care what happens out there, I'm going to win, mm-hmm. right? And, and you start looking for a win no matter what happens, right? You, you break your leg uh, on the lose run. Uh, you, you find you, you're just, it's a knee-jerk reaction. You don't allow yourself to get down because you know, there's, there's got to be a good side to this. And I'm going to find it because I'm a winner, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and you don't go through that process. It just happens automatically. It's just like an outgrowth, right, of, of that decision that, hey, I will until. Mm-hmm. So... When COVID hit, I remember that March, <laughs> the phone started ringing because everybody was canceling, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, I was deer in the headlights for about two days. And I, I told my wife, don't buy anything, okay? I got to figure this mess out. <laughs> and I got together with a couple of uh, buddies or speakers too. And we said, hey, we need to figure a virtual, okay? Because mm-hmm. we're, we're going to survive this thing. Yeah. That's, uh, but we got to figure it out. And so... We would uh, try all different things, right? One of my mentors said, hey, throw mud on the wall. Some of it will stick, right? 
clean up the mess later. And, and that's how I operate, right? Try different things, figure out what doesn't work. Let's make every mistake in the book with virtual, right? And, uh, and let's keep you know, touching base every couple of days so we learn fast, mm -hmm. learn from success, right? From failure, learn the lessons. And within a month, we figured it out. And then we had our lighting right, we had everything set up, and you know, we were able to transition, and we weathered the storm, right? Yeah. It didn't mean it was easy, but we weathered the storm. We made it. Mm -hmm. survived and now it seems like it's starting to change again so that's great yeah how did your message change or how did you adapt your message to you know either virtual yeah how did how did you change it to virtual when you were kind of going through this COVID time yeah well typically you know when you do a keynote it's usually about an hour mm -hmm. and, uh, and I always tell the client hey if you've got less than 500 people and, you, and it fits let's I'm happy to do the magic happens after the talk okay yeah the, the talk gets people thinking Right, you're thinking about possibilities. Uh, but why don't we do some Q&A afterwards? Let's do you know, 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then if you have a party or a get together or whatever, I'm gonna hang around with your folks because that's when the shy ones will ask me that question they weren't <laughs> asked for everybody. Mm -hmm. And many times you might be able to say something that just shifts their attitude. And then you get these emails two years later about you know, <laughs> big things that happened, but they got triggered that day, right? Yeah. So, so uh, with virtual, what, I, what we figured out that works really well is uh, 30 minutes max, right, for the uh -huh. talk. And I always ask them, you know, I'll, uh, what's, what's the theme of your, of your program? Mm -hmm. What's your goal? What, you, what do you want your people thinking, doing afterwards? And what's the challenge? Because I had to overcome tons of challenges to reach my goals. Everybody does. So if I know those three things, then I can tailor it for you and it'll, uh, and it'll work, right? It does. And so uh, 30 minutes with virtual, and then I tell, uh, let's say, that, that you had booked me to speak for your group, right, mm -hmm. for Premiere, yeah. right? And, um, and so then you would interview me for 10, 15 minutes, and I give them questions, but I tell them, hey, surprise me, okay? Hit me yeah. on something, because that makes it more fun for me. Yeah. Uh, and, then, um, and then we'll open it up for everybody and leave it open-ended. And then you, can, you just say, uh, you know, we got time for one more question. We always finish on time. <laughs> and that, that's worked really, really well, mm -hmm. really well. What, uh, now you got me curious. So you were telling us you know, before you came on that, you know, you're, when you're on stage, you're this big, you know, energetic kind of guy, but you used to be the guy who would kind of be quiet in the corner. And you mentioned at the very end of your Q&A, you wait around and those people ask those little questions that kind of the shy people ask. What are some of those things those shy people ask to you? Maybe they're comfortable with you because you were that shy guy too. What are, those, what are the questions they generally ask? Well, it's, many times it's just a, any kind of challenge they're going through mm -hmm. uh, that, that for them it's the Mount Everest that's keeping them from reaching their, their, their dream or goal. They really believe that you know if it wasn't for this, I could do it. And many times I'm able to, 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 to say something where they, they, they reframe it in their mind, right? And they see it, oh yeah. You know, that mountain, we can't move it, but maybe I can take this route over here. Or maybe there's this path, there's this goat path that goes over this way and it's safe. <laughs> Whatever, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and they see the possibilities, right? They see that there's a solution. I don't preach to them. I just, many times I'll just turn around and say something that happened to me, similar. And, and so there's a connection, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I love that. Well, uh, so kind of to finish up here, I always like the practical stuff. What are a few things that people can do today to kind of change their tomorrow? The books you read and the people you, you hang around with mm -hmm. is, is, 
basically it. My dad drilled that, right? The books you read and people you hang around with. Uh, you become like the people you associate with. You pick up their habits, okay? Mm -hmm. So, uh, like in your case, you're a, a runner and swimmer. Which are the two? Well, you, you, run, run, running, biking better. I kind of I run bike, yeah. Run it's bike. Better, yeah. This, it's biathlon. It's duathlon. Like duathlon. Yes, yeah. Biathlon, you get to shoot and ski. Yeah. And I, I would do that if I could shoot or ski. Yeah. But it's the duathlon, yeah. <laughs> duathlon, okay. Yeah. All right. So, you hang around duathlon champs, right? Mm -hmm. You get better, you, yeah. Yeah, you do. You, you pick up their habits. You, you, uh, you start thinking differently. You hang out with a, and this works in sales, right? I do tons of sales kickoffs because I, I, I sold copiers when I was a kid. When yeah. I was a kid. Oh yeah, back then when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, and it's funny, I always tell the, 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 the VP of sales, look, I'm not gonna talk about sales. I'm not gonna talk about uh, sales closes, techniques. No, I'm gonna talk about attitude. That way you can keep using whatever your system is, mm -hmm. uh, but it's gonna work better. Because, you know. So, you wanna hang around with the salesman of the month. Whoever got, the, whoever got that plaque last month, take them out to Starbucks, right? And they'll mm -hmm. tell you everything. Su successful people, they like to talk about success. Yep. They'll tell you. And you hang around the water cooler with all the whiners and complainers, then you're going down, baby. You may not even have a job next time, it's just a turnaround. And so, <laughs> one thing I'll say a lot is, look, you, you wanna lose 10 pounds? You know what the best diet in the world is? Hang around skinny people. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll be riding bikes and eating salad and you'll be enjoying it and the weight will just melt off, you know? <laughs> you become like the people you hang around with. You pick up their habits. So that's simple stuff. Success is simple. Yeah. Not easy, but it's simple. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Ruben, thank you so much for coming on. And, and I know you mentioned some of those people, uh, you know, like Scott Hamilton's been right here and, and, you know, we've, you know, Rudy's been on this and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, people from uh, Miracle on Ice. So thank you for joining that crew, being one of those people that have, you know, done so much to inspire so many people. And thanks for coming on the uh, Beyond Speaking Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.